We are continuing uh, walking through the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. It was a church that he planted. He's under house arrest right now in Rome. I was thinking about this that, uh, you know, recently that if you go to Rome today, that was the world power of the day. Nero was on the loose. He was a wild man, out of control, wanting power, paranoid, and Paul was arrested because of his faith in Christ. And so Paul is under the authority of Nero, but he's also under the authority of the great God, the one true God. And he's okay with that. So Paul is 800 miles away in Rome as he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And so today we get to read it and apply it to our lives. So we're going we're gonna to camp out in chapter 4. And uh, the topic that Paul's talking about today is our mind, what we think about And uh, the title for today's talk, of course, is Joy on the Mind. We, living in 2022, we need to push through life and allow God's joy to rest on our minds as we think about him and keep our eyes fixed on him. And that's where Paul's going today. So our thoughts matter. They really do. Negative thinking leads to negative living. Everybody has a choice on how you're going to dial in with your thinking and explains why two people living in the same environment have two different uh, outlooks. And this morning, we're going to drill down with a dog's diary. And if that's okay with you, I know some of you have animals at home. We don't. We did but we don't. Uh, so anyway, let's, let's take a look at a dog's diary. Um, that's a happy dog right there, right? Yeah, man, he's on, he's, uh, he's on a road trip and he's good to go. Listen to, uh, listen to what he had to say. At 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, that's what he's doing right now, my favorite thing. 9.40 a.m., a walk in the park, my favorite thing. 10.30 a.m., got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12 o'clock, it's lunchtime, my favorite thing. 1 o'clock, played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 o'clock, wag my tail, my favorite thing. 5 o'clock, milk bones, my favorite thing. 7 p.m., got to play ball, my favorite thing. 8 p.m., got to Got to watch, get to, <laughs> I got to watch TV with the people. <laughs> the people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on my bed, my favorite thing. Now, at the end of the day, you'd say, that's a happy dog, man. You know? He's living the real life, the good life. On the opposite side, there's a cat living in that house, too. <laughs> And you can see he's not, uh, he's not a happy cat. This is what he had to say in his diary, day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while I'm forced to eat dry cereal. I'm sustained by the mild satisfaction I derive from ruining a few pieces of furniture. 
Tomorrow I may eat another house plant. I am convinced the other household captives are flunkies, perhaps snitches. The dog is routinely released and seems naively happy to return. He is no doubt a half-wit. The bird speaks with the humans regularly. He must be an informant. I am certain he reports my every move. And due to his current placement in the metal cage, his safety is assured, but I can wait. It's only a matter of time. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. And so you look at a day of a dog and you look at the day of a cat. One's content, one's conniving. One's at peace, the other's at war. One's grateful, one's grumpy. Same house, same circumstances, same master, and yet two different attitudes. Incredible, huh? Yeah, well, before you feel bad about that cat, you know, (laughs) what's the difference between the dog and the cat? Well, it's the way they're thinking. And if we could pull up your personal diary this morning, how would it read? Would you fall towards the dog's perspective or how the cat looks at life? And if your private thoughts were made public, how often would those favorite phrases be, oh boy, my favorite, right? My favorites. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. It's a good thought. What we think, how we think, will shape who we are. Let's go to the Bible, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, in your notes, you can see we're, we're going to land in verses 8 and 9, but I'd like to just back up um, to verse 6. Um, Paul putting life in perspective, and I think it's a, it's a good reminder. Philippians 4, those of you that have your Bibles, those that have the, your smartphone, you version, whatever, you can pull it up. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. It's a good place to land, by the way. Thank God for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. As you can tell, Paul is kind of winding down in this letter. There's one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. On this Labor Day weekend of 2022, this day will be in the history books, never to come back again. And so that's why we're excited to be together as people of God, celebrating you and your presence, Lord. And as we've read your word and continue to look into it, we pray that your Holy Spirit will Speak to us in areas that maybe we need to make changes in. 
It's a dangerous place to be when we close the book and say, God's done enough in my life. I don't need him to work anymore. Or I got burned in life and I don't want to know God anymore. So, Lord, we're all at different places. Some are coming through a crisis, some are in a crisis, and some have just come out of one. And that's why, God, this life um, really is temporary. It's not going to last forever. And so that puts so much value on our souls. The decision we make to put our trust in you matters so, so much. So, Lord, for those that maybe are watching or here today that are debating, um, questioning what they should do with their lives, I pray that today they'll pull the trigger and say yes to you, to be all in with you, Lord. We give you permission to um, deal with every area of our life. Help us not to keep those closets closed, but to swing those gates wide open. So thanks for being here, Lord. You're, we know you love us. You care about us. You're involved in our lives. And so thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to uh, ask right off the top, um, you know, what kind of thinking we're doing. Do, do I like the direction my thoughts are taking me? I don't. I don't know where you're at in, in your world, but your thought life, we know that can be very private. Um, and that question, do I like the direction that my thoughts are taking me? Because we know what we think we will become. And if the answer is no, I would encourage you this morning to be intentional about making proper changes. Decide to change your mind so that God can change your life. That's what God wants to do. He wants the freedom to be able to do that. And an incredible thing, man, is that God created us, and yet he gave you and I the freedom to push him away or to embrace him. That is incredible love. It's incredible. And so I don't take that lightly. And... Um, and so I, I am grateful that the Lord, Debbie and I were talking about this yesterday. Did, did I, do I know the time, the place where I put my faith in Christ? And I said, yeah, I do. I know exactly where that was. And I was in eighth grade um, on a camping trip. It was a Christian camp on a wilderness trip up near Canada. And all alone, reading our, my Bible, for the morning devotions, and it was there that the Lord tapped me and said, it's time to surrender to me, because I had been running from the Lord. And Debbie said, asked me, was that the first time? And I said, yeah, that was the first time. Growing up in the church, going to Sunday school every Sunday, uh, being in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, some Wednesdays, I had the freedom to push God away or embrace him. And I, am, I have never regretted that day that I put my trust in him. And I hope you feel the same way about your faith in Christ. So allowing God to change our mind. 
Paul, as you can see in verses 8 and 9, he's talking about what we're thinking about, where our thoughts take us. And um, <clears throat> I have to be honest with you, before we jump into that text, I think we need to land on an intro, and you can see in your notes, the battle for your mind. Because a lot of followers of Christ get stuck in the weeds here. Because even though they put their faith in Christ, the, the habits they, they had established before they put their faith in Christ, the wrong thinking, stinking thinking, etc., uh, they they they're just stuck there. And they're, they never embrace the fact of how God sees them and how God loves them. And, and so uh, in order for us to, to move into verses 8 and 9, I think we need to build a, uh, dig up a foundation here. And in your notes you can see in Proverbs 4.23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Be careful. There's a, there's a flare that's shot in the air that each of us needs to see that, man, we need to be, we need to be careful. We have to be intentional about what we're allowing in our brain because that's the difference maker. It really is. It happened in my life. I saw it firsthand. I, I lived through it firsthand on how God had to renew my thinking. And so, um, we cannot um, overestimate the importance of having a mind that's going after God, right. friends. In a culture that's full of chaos and, and darkness, pervasive everywhere, it can be overwhelming, it can be intimidating, it can be discouraging. And that's why Paul, man, the day that he's living in, Nero, a wild man running Rome, out of control, power hungry, evil, dark, sinister. Paul is saying, listen, man, I'm under house arrest. I'm chained to a Roman guard, and yet I am keeping my eyes where they need to be. I am keeping my thinking where it needs to be. And that's where we are in this time in history as well. I desire... And I have desired this for a long time, to be a man of God. When people read my name or see me face to face, they, their thoughts would be, that dude is a man of God. Not a perfect man. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a man who's going after God. There's a passion there. There's, there's a desire that at the end of the day, I will, I will finish strong in my relationship with Christ. There has to be that kind of commitment. And, and so um, in order to, uh, to uh, pursue Christ, I need to be careful on what I'm allowing in my brain. Right? I have to be careful. And I can tell you this, that an impure brain will thwart your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you allow everything to come in and through your brain and camp out in your brain, things that are not honoring to the Lord, it will impede your relationship with Christ. I've said this before where at a men's retreat, 
the men were surveyed and they, they were asked, what disconnects you with God the most? And it was lust. And a high percentage of the men at that conference identified that, that when their thinking moves into lustful thoughts, they become disconnected with God. And Satan is so clever that if we allow lust to camp out in our heads as men, he comes knocking on our door and says, man, how can you sing at church today? How can you lift up hands today because your thoughts were full of lust this past week? You see how he does it? Driving down Brandywine Trail, man, he's already attacking you, undermining your integrity. He's so good at that. And that's why, friends, we need to deal with the thinking, what we allow in our brains on a consistent basis. Your mind is a battlefield. My mind is a battlefield. We have to recognize that. And the greatest trick, man, that the devil has floated in our world and our culture is that he's pulled the, the convincing thing that to the world that he doesn't even exist. Can I tell you today that even in seminaries, students are being taught that there is no devil and there is no hell. That's why, that's why we need to be reading our Bibles consistently. We really do. Because, man, if you're not going to get the truth in seminary, and I can tell you, it's not every seminary, but many of our seminaries in America today have been compromised. And so that's why, yeah, even as you know, clergy come out of those institutions, you and I need to be very aware of what we're listening to, what we're being told, and if it lines up with the Bible. Yeah. Come on. Come on, talk to me. Is that right? Yeah, man, that's right. That's true. I believe it. Satan knows if we ignore him, we pretend he's not there, he's not real, he can invade our space at any time, at will, and he'll do it. And even Jesus himself endorsed the fact that there is a devil. In John 10.10, he says, Jesus said, red letter, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Man... We have to come to the point in our lives to realize that there is God and there is the devil and there's no gray area in the middle. It's either one or the other. And I don't know about you, but I came to a point in my life where I got sick and tired of being pushed around by the devil. I got tired of it. We have to draw a line in the sand and realize that the devil hates me and he wants to destroy my life. Jesus even said that. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's got a job description to take you out, to diminish you, to compromise you, so that you can't become all that God wants you to be. Man, what a day that is when the chains fall off yes. Yes. that he's wrapped around you. 
and the power of the living God is resident in you and you walk in victory. You go from victory to victory. For those of you that uh, watched the Badger game last night, you think they got fired up? We won, no big deal. No big deal. Oh man, they were fired up. The team was fired up. That is a picture of what God wants for his people, to experience victory, to walk in victory, to have right thinking, godly thinking, thoughts that honor the Lord, man, not fuel for the enemy. And so Jesus says, yes, there is a devil and he hates you. He wants to destroy you. And once we become aware of that, that should be enough to say, that's it, man. I'm, I'm all in with God. Right? I'm all in. I, I, can't, I can't be one foot here, one foot there. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter wrote this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's the point. Satan despises you. Why? Because you've been, in the, you've been created in the image of God. God has put his stamp on your life because he made you. He knitted you together. There is worth and value on you. Man, God, God wants to see you fulfill the plans that he has for your life. And he's trying, Satan's trying to connive and lie to you. And he lies to me. But we don't have to be a prisoner of war with those lies unless we choose to be. We get to choose that. Judson Franklin uh, writes this. He said, uh, years ago, a psychiatrist, Dr. Daniel Amen, had a hard day at, off, at the office. He, he met with several patients, including four people who were struggling with life, two teenage runaways, and two married couples who couldn't stand each other. Is that a good day or a bad day? You can see, man, the dude had a hard day here. That wasn't, in, that wasn't the end of the day for him. When he came home, he went into the kitchen, and there were ants everywhere, running everywhere in the kitchen. And so as the psychiatrist was cleaning up the ants, he imagined these insects' name as an acronym for automatic negative thoughts, ant, A-N-T, automatic negative thoughts. He realized that just as his kitchen was infested with ants, his patients' brains were infested with automatic negative thoughts that destroyed their well-being. I like to use Dr. Amen's acronym this way, Automatic Negative Thinking Syndrome, or ANTS, Jetson Franklin says. When you automatically think about the worst-case scenario right off the bat, you're suffering from an infestation of ANTS. The syndrome fuels negativity and incites depression. Instead of thinking God-honoring thoughts or hoping for the best, we instantly think that the worst is going to happen. Like, if I have a potential job opportunity coming my way, I'd assume I'm not qualified. See? So Jetson 
goes on to tell his story. When I began my work as a pastor, I was a bit insecure. I was familiar with the life of a traveling evangelist. I had done that for years. But pastoring was a whole new thing for me. At the time, I was starting to get to know our board of directors, and they were getting to know me. A few months in, after an amazing church service, I walked through the hallway to get to my office, and I noticed four of our five board members huddled up whispering. As soon as they saw me, they broke it up really quick. My ears burned, and I felt ants crawling up and down my face. (laughs) A-N-T-S. Immediately, the negativity took over my brain. They don't like you. They're talking about you. They're not happy with all the changes you're making in the church. Uh, For the next week, ants was all I could think about. I cried. I prayed. I even told my wife we ought to be prepared to get fired. I was ready for the worst. And the following Sunday, the same men who I was convinced were going to fire me pulled me aside into a little room, and I took a deep breath, preparing myself for a speech that would be something like this. Before we start, let me just tell you something. Well, one of the board members piped in before I had the chance to go down that road. Pastor, we love you, and Sharitz, my wife. We love your family. We're enjoying the presence of God in this church, and we wanted to do something for you and your growing family. We noticed that you need a van, and we have decided as a church to provide you with a new one. The man smiled as he gently pressed a set of car keys into the palm of my hand. I was so ashamed I almost didn't receive it. Don't let ants infest your mind, Jensen says. We serve a powerful God. We serve a faithful God. He is not out to devour and destroy you. He's a good God. He's on your side. He's for you. If you have an ant's infestation, Romans 12.2 says, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Renew your mind with what God says in his word. Read the Bible. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Soak in its truth. You'll get rid of the automatic negative thought syndrome the way and start living with the right information instead. Can you identify with Jensen? Hmm? Your, your mind neg- you know, automatically goes negative, goes south. You've got ants in your brain. <laughs> oh, no. Well, in many ways, the battle for the Christian life is a battle of the mind. We will become and practice what fills our mind and thought, See, what we think about. Think about this. Godly thoughts will produce godly living. Godly thoughts will produce godly living. And we need to be careful who we allow at the control center of our minds, right? Who's, who's got control there? Who have we relinquished ownership to in what we allow in our mind and thinking? And here it is. The choice is up to you. Nobody else can make that choice for you. You know, back, there, there, were, there were a, a few things in my life, several things in my life, many things in my life that I had to deal with. And yes, God wanted to change me, but he 
knew I had to make that decision. Like I had to decide to put my faith in Christ. I had to decide to say, this is enough. I want God to renew my thinking. We have to give God permission to do that. And so, today, today, we will endeavor to do that very thing. I don't know how your mind is. If you've got landmines loaded through there, your strongest thoughts will be centered around your weaknesses. Maybe if you choose to ignore this battle, you think it's going to go away. But if you choose to ignore it, you're going to lose the battle. You will. It's that simple. We've got to decide. I've got to decide. You've got to decide. I've had enough. And um, um, it's, time, it's time to say, I'm going to win this battle for my mind. Right? Yeah. We're going to win the battle of the mind. Well, Randy Elkhorn, his wife recently passed away. Great book, The Purity Principle, and, and uh, we sent these around to the men in the church uh, a few years ago. And I have to tell you, this is, uh, this is a great book, uh, gentlemen. And as men, many men don't like to read, you know? We don't like to read. So um, this is a book for you because, look, it, it's tiny. <laughs> And I can tell you it's easy to read because um, I've read it many times. So <clears throat> Randy has a chapter called The Battle is in Your Mind. Listen to what he has to say. Brad was a seminary student preparing for ministry. One night he argued with his wife, upset he drove to Starbucks to think things through. Soon Brad was engrossed in a conversation with a young woman. A few hours later he was in bed with her. Brad came to me ashamed. How can I tell my wife? Will she ever forgive me? It was so sudden. There was no warning. It came out of the clear blue sky. Or did it? He asked. Brad had worked nonstop to put him through seminary. He'd come to suddenly resent his wife, seeing her and the children as obstacles. He no longer dated her or communicated with her on a deep level. He had been looking at provocative sites on the Internet. He'd watched raunchy movies. All of this culminated in the horrible episode that happened without warning. The truth is, sexual sin never comes out of the blue. It is the predictable result of natural processes. Relationships are neglected and the mind gets exposed to impurity. Tomorrow's character is made out of today's thoughts. Temptation may come suddenly, but sin doesn't. Neither does moral and spiritual fiber. Both result from a process over which we do have control. We become what we think. We forge our sexual morality through an ongoing series of choices and actions, including tiny indulgences and minuscule compromises. The eye lingers here. The mind loiters there. Like a photographic plate forming an image, our mind accumulates what we expose it to godly, or ungodly. The battle is in our minds. Commonly, someone who falls is taken by surprise. They ask, where did that come from? The Bible gives a clear answer. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. And Jesus put it succinctly, 
You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Pharisees emphasized the external. Jesus raised the moral bar, saying that lust is not the only source of sexual sin, but sin itself. He closed the door to the Pharisaical notion that a man could undress a woman in his mind and remain pure. Lust is fed by whatever we're deposited, we've deposited in our brains that it can get its claws on. What's in our brains is what we've allowed in through our senses. The images and words in our minds must come either from specific things or our eyes have seen and our ears have heard or an imaginative conglomerate of such input. What kind of person we are becoming is determined by what we're taking into our brains. When we read scripture and good books, participate in Christ-centered discussion, or care for the needy, we are inclining ourselves towards righteousness. The old saying is still true, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Actions, habits, character, and destiny all start with a thought, and thoughts are fostered by what we choose to take in to our minds. That's why our most important sex organ is our brain. Are you feeding lust or starving it? Are you feeding your passion for Christ or starving it? Which desire will prove stronger? The ones you feed the most. To protect our purity, we need to set mental boundaries. And so, Randy, I think, puts it pretty straightforward, wouldn't you say? Ladies and gentlemen, we're in church today, I get it, but listen, we're living in a real world. And if we can't talk about this, and if, if the Bible ignores the topic, then you're going to have a lot of wounded men and women walking around. And God wants to heal you. And God wants to breathe life back in to those minds that maybe you've been in the gutter too long. We need to identify those strongholds in our lives, and deal with them. And so we go to 2 Corinthians 10, 14. We're talking about the battle for your mind. Paul writes, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. The word stronghold is an interesting term. It literally means to fortify. Paul was using the imagery of ancient times. A stronghold was a building or a, a fortress built uh, at the peak in a city. The citadel was surrounded by a reinforced wall up to 20 feet wide. In times of war, if the city was attacked, the stronghold was often seen as unapproachable, impenetrable. You couldn't, you couldn't breach it. Paul is comparing lies that the enemy likes to, to plant in the back and the front end of your mind as fortresses. He, he speaks those. He, he puts that subtle thought there, and then he goes hiding in that fortress. 
like the walls of the strongholds are lies that we have been listening to over and over again are, are becoming reinforced strongholds. It's a stronghold, and we can't seem to get victory over it. And we begin to think that we will never change, we'll never experience life-giving victory again. But we look at 2 Corinthians 10 here. Paul is identifying what needs to happen, friend, if we want to deal head-on with those strongholds that have become embedded in our thinking. We use God's mighty weapons, not our thinking, our strength. We try harder. We promise it'll never happen again. No, no. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We don't have the ability in ourselves to destroy those strongholds, friend. This is a spiritual battle, and that's why we need God's power. You retrain, you retrain your thinking from gutter thinking to godly thinking. Identify the lie that you've believed for so long. Identify it. Confess it. Renounce it. If you're going to change your life, you've got to change your thinking. That's what Paul is saying. We've got to demolish those strongholds. Well, what does that look like? In Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. The incredible greatness of God's power. Can you hear Paul saying that? He's not whispering it, man. He's experienced it. The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power that raised Jesus out of that grave is resident within you and me if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Both identifying and destroying the lion are necessary to win this war, this battle of the mind and our thinking. To bring down those strongholds, we need to go to God. And as a child of God, you have access to the power of God. Now, on, at Guest Central, and you've heard me say this and use this many times, Neil Anderson, who I am in Christ, um, on one side he talks about my identity, Satan's lie, you're a sinner because you sin. Your, your identity comes from what you have done. Your identity comes from what people say about you. Your behavior tells you what to believe about yourself. And then he goes into what God says about you. This changed my life. I had strongholds in my life. I got sick and tired of being pulled by a chain by the enemy on how I saw myself and how I didn't think I was, I could be loved by a loving God. I wasn't good enough. And so Neil Anderson in his booklet, The Steps to Freedom in Christ, dealing with this head on, you put it on the table. 
you identify those strongholds in your life, the wrong thinking, and you say, I renounce the lie that I am rejected, unloved, or shameful. In Christ, I am accepted. And he's got Bible verses. I renounce the lie that I am worthless, inadequate, helpless, or hopeless. In Christ, I am significant because God says, and he has a list of Bible verses there. Friends, it is God's word that has the power. And I saw that happen in my own life where I got, I told God, I said, God, we got to start this all over again because my life is just going in circles. And I know you have more for me. And so I said, Lord, will you forgive me for believing the lies in my life? And Lord, from today on, I'm going to start allowing your word to renew my thinking. And that happened. I had Bible verses near me when my mind started to go down into the gutter. God was able to break down those strongholds in my life. Several years after pastoring here at Live Church, <clears throat> we seemed to experience stuff. Stuff. And I began to become defensive in a certain time of the year where it seemed the bad stuff always seemed to happen. And so the Lord had to convict me that that was a stronghold. That had become a stronghold in my thinking. Instead of majoring on the power and the greatness of God, I was submitting to what the enemy wanted to do at certain times of the year. And I had to confess that. And I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I had to ask the Lord to renew my mind for that stronghold. And he did. He did. Do you know what happens when you see God working in you, in your life? What used to be, what was the stronghold, is no longer there. But the victory that Christ has for you is resonant in your life. Man. Victory, Jesus. A great song. A great song. We'll probably sing that at him, him day, him night, him sing in a few weeks. Indeed, indeed. I just want to encourage you, friend, stop being pulled by the enemy, that chain that he has on your life, if you've allowed strongholds to become part of your life. And as a man, maybe it's lust that has become a stronghold in your life, and it's, it's wound, you are a wounded warrior, man. And God wants you to deal with that stronghold once and for all and to be a man of God in your thinking. Are there any men here today? Come on. Come on. Hey. You want to be crippled spiritually? Uh, come on, man. God wants you to walk in victory. He does. And as young men in this place here today, 
you have a responsibility to guard your mind. Yeah? When you're in front of a woman, you look at her eyes, man. It's pretty quiet in here today. It's pretty quiet in here today. Listen, I am, I'm, I'm, I am so grateful that Jesus raised the bar from the law, that an act was the law, and Jesus said, your thought is the priority. Because Jesus recognized that as men and women, we, could, we can control what thinking, what kind of thinking goes in our heads, right? If, if it was impossible, they wouldn't be in the Bible. And so I'm grateful for the example Jesus gave us. So, so there's a large shaggy-haired dog named Max, and he's not able to leave the yard, and every time a a car drives by Max, you know, he, he loves to chase cars, but he's, he's not moving. Hmm. Max wants to give chase so bad, but he just sits in the yard. And a little bit after that, two boys are playing catch in the street, and the ball rolls right on the edge of Max's yard. And, man, he desperately wants to get that ball and run from the boys, but he doesn't. And one of the boys starts teasing Max. What's the matter, Max? Are you afraid of the ball? Max wants to bite the brat. But his tormentor is just outside the yard. The cat walks down the street. Max can't imagine the nerve of this cat. He knows they are evil. And they are on this earth only to do Satan's work. Max, Max wants to attack this cat to bring a hailstorm of violence into his life. Yet he can't. Why is that? Well, an electric fence lines the perimeter of his yard. This type of fence puts out a little invisible beam, and when an unsuspecting dog crosses the line, zap! He gets a small jolt of electricity. The first time the dog's confused, he tries to leave the yard again. Zap! Again. Oh, boy. Another painful little sting. Uh, you learn after a while, right? Yeah. If the dog is stubborn, he'll just, or if he's just dumb, he'll try it a third time. Not good. After that, he's learned a lesson. He knows he will never be able to leave the yard again. Max resigned to that effect. But... Uh, Max's owners have an electric fence. Actually, Max's owners used to have an electric fence. They bought one, set it up, turned it on. Max was shocked several times. It worked. The fence also zapped a neighbor kid who wandered into their yard. The neighbor kid, didn't, his parents didn't like that. And so they complained to Max's owners. And so Max's owners took it down. Put it away in the garage. Yep. Several years have passed since they owned the fence. Even still, Max will not leave the yard. Why? He thinks he can't. He believes he can't. In his mind, he is a prisoner missing out on all that life wants him to enjoy. The magical place where cars can be caught, balls can be stolen, and the evil mission of cats 
can be thwarted or just out of reach from Acts. He has no idea that the only thing keeping him constrained is a lie that he believes. You laugh, we can laugh, sure, sure. But it's possible that we're more like Max than we even want to acknowledge. We can be constrained by a lie. And this morning, friends, I just want to encourage you, if the enemy has been lying to you, and you think you will always be a prisoner of sin, you will always be under the control of the enemy. It's a lie. I want to say this morning to you, there is freedom, there is victory that Jesus Christ has for you. And today is that day. This, this is a foundation to embrace what Paul says to you and I about right thinking and how we're to think as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not impossible. And in 2022, when our world is collapsing, it is literally collapsing all around us. And we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that. This world is broken because men and women have decided to sin against the holy God. That is why our soul that lives forever, we need to deal with that decision of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this morning, before anything else, if you've never put your faith in Christ, man, and you might think, you know what, I haven't put my faith in Christ, but I'm not on Satan's team either. I haven't put my faith in Satan. Listen, by not putting your faith in Christ, you're living for the devil. It's automatic. Maybe you're having tormenting dreams at night. Maybe you're, you're haunted by your past. Maybe, whatever the case may be, man, the stronghold that the enemy has built in your life, in your thinking, in your mind, Jesus Christ wants to set you and I free today. And so, Lord, I pray for each person watching online and every person in this room that we would be honest with you. This is not a game, Lord. We, we, we don't have the luxury to dabble in sin and dabble with the Lord. This is, this is either all in or all out. It's, it's uh, allowing the power, that resurrection power of Jesus Christ to be lived in and through us. And I pray for, for individuals today that have pushed you away, that have said no to you, but today they recognize that God, you created them, you love them, you died on the cross for their sins, you paid for their sin debt in full. And this morning they're saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid my sin debt in full. I believe it. And I'm putting all my trust in you. So thank you for forgiving me, Lord. 
Not some of my sin, but all of my sin. And I bring my life to you. It's yours. You're my master now. You have control. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for those that have, as followers of Christ, we become lazy in our thinking. We've let our minds wander into the gutter, into the desert, into the wilderness, in places we know that's not honoring to you. We pray that you will forgive us right here, right now, Lord. Awaken us. Awaken us, Lord, how we have grieved you, how we have hurt you, how we have compromised our own lives. And so we renounce those lies, those thoughts that we've embraced that are dishonoring to you. We renounce them in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for renewing our mind that you will help us to get into your word and stand on your word that we will experience a change of our thinking that's honoring to you. Not just on Sundays, Lord, but seven days a week. Our thoughts are going to be pleasing to you. We will put them through the filter of your word. And Lord, we know that you're excited about that. You're excited to work in, in us and through us and renew our mind, to change our thinking. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the good work you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here today. As you convict, as you encourage, Lord, we choose to become more like you. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord. We call out to you in Jesus' name, that name that's above every name, every stronghold. It's, it's greater than every stronghold. Lord. We call on your great name, Jesus. We speak your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the good work. In your great name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and friends. <clears throat> uh, we're going to sing and maybe, maybe God's doing something right here, right now. Take advantage of that. We'll have prayer teams up front too if you want somebody to pray with you, agree with you. Um, but let God have his way, man.
Amen.